This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. How do the American people feel? We don't want to be in war. We don't. But there's a lot of people. And I'm surprised at how many. And I, I shouldn't be because I've always said, and other people said, one of the ways the Democrats want to fix everything is get into a war. And here we are. The proof is in the pudding, isn't it? If Biden had not been so weak, we wouldn't be here. Biden definitely invited this situation. There's no question about it. But he didn't do it alone. The Democrat Party, look, it's just a fact. They want war. This is how they get out of the depressions and the recessions. And that's what they do. I think that we've been saying this. And now that it's come, I'm very self-conscious to say it. But, you know, it was easy to say it a few months ago. Oh, here come the Democrats. Okay, we're going to be in war. Well, you say it. But then there's a reality. People are dying. There are innocent civilians in Ukraine right now being killed. Being killed. The Russians are just barreling through. Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike Hey, it's New York Mike Roll Right Radio It's a crazy time to be alive, guys I'm telling you Somebody said you should only live in exciting times And it's not exciting in the manner that you want to think of excitement. The space shuttle going to the moon or exciting inventions and the creativity, Elon Musk's of the world. Those are the exciting times I like to think about. Watching Russia invade Ukraine is not, is not exciting. It may be to some people, but it's devastating. We haven't seen this on the planet since the Nazis invaded their neighbors since Hitler. We haven't seen this. Russia coming in 2014, they went into Belarus. Ukraine has a population of 44 million people. Poland has a population of 37 million people. Now, Germany is 83 million people. I get it. France is 67 million people. Turkey is 84. Just trying to put this in some perspective. But the largest landmass of European countries, which Ukraine is, Ukraine is the largest country. They call it the breadbasket of Europe. It supplies so much food. It's been an independent country and free. And by the way, I'm not trying to paint it as a perfect country. I don't know who is. It's corrupt. It's this. It's that. Okay. But they keep on getting better. I don't think that we've had such a focus on this country, Ukraine, so much as we have lately with Putin going in there and taking it back. What he's trying to do is restructure the entire Soviet Union, put it back together. And it's also, you know, he's just a crazy narcissist. And, you know, he's now about 70 years old and he wants to leave his legacy. So he's got that. And this is like him just saying, hey, this is what I want to be known for. 
putting the Soviet Union back together. And of course, that's going to include some members in NATO. So in some ways, it's like he's, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips here and saying, let's see what happens if I'll just take back Ukraine, see how that goes, and then we'll take back the rest of it. I got a few years left. But, you know, it's not like Ukraine is some little country. Again, 44, almost 45 million people. Poland's 37 million people. It's, uh, yeah, okay. Russia's 146 million people. Yeah, I know. The United States, almost 330 million people. We're a lot bigger, a lot stronger. Our economy is like nine or 10 times as large as Russia's. We shouldn't feel as threatened as we do, but I, I think it's because of our weak leadership. You got to go back to the same thing. You got to go back to the reality of what is causing all this. Okay? There's no question in, I think, not just in my mind, in a lot of people will tell you the same thing. This whole thing is just based on the fact that it's all about Biden. Biden is so weak. Biden caused this assault. There's no question about it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Those on the left. All those Democrats, and I talk to some of them once in a while here and there. I mean, my God, everything you see is as white, they see as black. There's just no question about it. You can't reason with them. They will tell you that, you know, what happened in Afghanistan was not because of Biden. It was, you know, it was Trump. Trump made the day the May 31st. They leave out all the details. Yeah, the target date was May 31st. But it was based on circumstances that would have taken. You cannot reason with people that just don't want to want to accept the truth. They just don't. But it's where we are. There's certain things. In the first place, I really feel that the Russians, if you want to say overreached, this is going to have bad repercussions for the Russians. I'm pretty convinced of that. But for what's going on in the Ukraine, I want to say this. I went to Israel with about 250 paratroopers from around the world, and it's a long time ago, 1987, right before the breakup of the Soviet Union. It was 1987, celebrating the 20th anniversary of the paratroopers taking back the old city of Jerusalem, and they celebrate bringing paratroopers from all over the world. We worked, we trained with the IDF, celebrate. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And we went to the place of the fallen paratroopers, we went to the battlefield at the gates of old Jerusalem, went through the trench warfare. It was quite a, an experience for military troops to get together. And I don't know how many exactly were from each country. There was about 75 or 80 Americans, maybe a few less. There were 65 Germans. And how do I know? That's the only one I remember because it was so bizarre to see the German paratroopers come in. And some current serving them. This is in Jerusalem, in Israel. They came in. We all got in together. They were in a kind of a uniform. They, they wore fatigue pants tucked in to their boots with the T-shirt. But the T-shirt had the emblem, that Third Reich emblem, blazing across the chest. So it was like, whoa. Then the first place we go, we all land, and they gather us together in busloads. And they take us to Yad Vashem. So I went through Yad Vashem. That's the Museum of the Holocaust with 65 German paratroopers. I mean, there were 250 of us, but 65 
of those guys, German paratroopers. It was quite something to see and to be a part of. Yeah, we did a lot of stuff. There was parades. Why do I bring this up? Here's why I bring it up. Being with all these guys, with all you know, with the time we went together through the training, and we had to go through their jump school. It was abbreviated because we're all paratroopers. So we didn't have to go through a whole jump school, you know, three-week schooling process. But they put us through three, four, five days of jump school training just to make sure we were all physically capable of whatever. They had to do that. You know, you bind with guys. There's camaraderie, I guess you'd have to call it, going through this stuff. And you get close to these guys. And then, of course, we do all these training. And we go up to the Golan Heights, and now after we're together for a week, 10 days, you start getting friendly with people. And for some reason, me and a couple of the other Americans got real buddy-buddy with these Germans because, I mean, they were party hard, man. These guys, we, Disikoff Street was all the way down in Tel Aviv, where all the nightclubs, and they, they party all night long. Israelis just party. It was great. The Germans were the best. We would work all day, play all day, play all night, and then get a couple hours sleep, start the whole process again, and we just loved it. But the thing about these guys, these Germans were meticulous about every aspect of everything we did. Training with them was very different because they get into every little detail. They ask every, all the questions, and they really want to know, and they really dig. And I remember going up to the Golan Heights particularly, and the Israeli demonstrated what at that time was their very advanced tank, the Makavi, which means the chariot. And I had never seen a tank like this, but I'm not a tank guy. These Germans, it didn't matter if they were a tank guy or not. Whatever they did, every aspect of the military world was like they were just focused into. And so they went nuts over this Makavi, and they, listen, it was a hell of a demonstration. The tank went out there, dug itself a hole, fired off. And they, they told us how much it cost every time they would fire from the, the rocket turret. It was a lot of money. But the Israelis, they wanted to do it. They were showing off Israel's capabilities. And again, this is 87. And I think this is one of the reasons why they were happy to see that many Germans, as well as Americans, Swiss, Swedish. I think there were a few Russians there, too, just a handful. But the point is, these Germans just climbed into the tanks and around it and looked at it. It was like, oh, my God. It was like a couple of you know junior high school kids playing doctor for the first time. <laughs> but we got friendly. We were talking. I remember they were very concerned about Russia coming into Germany. I don't remember the political world at the time. It was chaotic, different than today, that's for sure, but it was still somewhat chaotic. And these Germans were very concerned, and we talked about it. We'd say, all right, are you kidding? You think Russia's going to come? Oh, yeah. When they come in, they're going to get with me, so we're going to have... And they were just adamant. And the thing that they pointed out was, they could come into Germany overall. There's not enough of a military to stop them from invading. But once they got there, the insurgency plan in their head, there was no question. They would, you know, I remember the conversations. 
they would talk about knowing every street, every alleyway, every shortcut, every rooftop, every building and every back. The way they described it, I remember what I was thinking at the time, being from Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> I wasn't talking about being invaded by outside forces. We would just think about being invaded by the other gangs in whatever neighborhood they were. And we would talk about things like that. We had Molotov cocktails hidden in sewer systems throughout the streets that we knew we can get a hold of if people are coming in. And we knew exactly what, and I can hear them talking. And this is, of course, you know, I was talking as a teenage kid in Brooklyn. These guys are adults, military, and they're talking about the streets and what it would be like for some conqueror, that specifically the Russians, coming in. And the way they talked about it, they scoffed at them trying to last even a year or two under this kind of situation where the Germans just knew every spot, every back alley, everything. And, then, and by the way, the resolve, the hatred that they had for the Germans was, I didn't realize it, kind of like, what's this all about? And then the, the resolve, the will, the, the almost like inviting them, come on, let's try it, just try it once. And so I don't know what the Ukrainians have in the way of this animus about the Russians because they're so close, or if they sit there in their military minds and they're wanting to challenge them, yeah, you come in, you try it, because that, that was the Germans, the ones I was with. But will the Ukrainians have even a shadow of a chance with the Russians invading? I think Putin is underestimating what he's up against. Sure, he'll get in there, and he's going to try to put in his puppet government that's going to just listen to him, and then he'll get out. But if he thinks he's going to leave troops behind, or if he thinks that the Ukrainian people, are they going to allow themselves to be subjected to a puppet of Putin? I think that he's wrong. I think he's got another thing coming. I think there's a lot of confusion here. We may not have a national interest to join with Ukraine in the war, but we do have a national interest in preventing the war. That's what we had. Now, this is where we failed, and we did. And now the war's begun, so where is our interest? I know I hear Democrats, they seem more inclined than not to back Ukraine, which means what? And then the Republicans less so saying Russia has been planning this for years and saying how Putin has laid out his case for Ukraine being part of Russia. Commentators left and right seem confused. Many are touting getting into the war, and many are saying, no way. How do the American people feel? We don't want to be in war. We don't. But there's a lot of people. And I'm surprised at how many. And I, I shouldn't be because I've always said, and other people said, one of the ways the Democrats want to fix everything is get into a war. And here we are. The proof is in the pudding, isn't it? If Biden had not been so weak, we wouldn't be here. Biden definitely invited this situation. There's no question about it. But he didn't do it alone. The Democrat Party. Look, it's just a fact. They want war. This is how they get out of the depressions and the recessions and 
That's what they do. I think that we've been saying this, and now that it's come, I'm very self-conscious to say it. But, you know, it was easy to say it a few months ago. Oh, here come the Democrats. Okay, we're going to be in war. Well, you say it. But then there's a reality. People are dying. There are innocent civilians in Ukraine right now being killed. Being killed. The Russians are just barreling through. Russian soldiers are going to pay a price. There's going to be Russian deaths. I keep hearing numbers on radio, and they change every hour. But Russia's going to pay a big price for this. I think the will of the Ukrainian people is going to be the test. Russia's going to pay a big price if NATO stays tough and if China isn't the panacea that Putin expects. The Ukrainian army is small, comparatively small, but they're strong, they're tough, they're committed. They're at home. So Russia's got 150, 60, 70, almost 200,000 troops. A Ukrainian army is that large, maybe a little bit larger. They got the troops. and They don't need to go tit for tat, man to man. They don't need that. You got a 200,000 troop force versus 120 or 30,000 at home. Remember the logistics that you need to create when you're traveling from Russia to Ukraine. It's not far, but it's a different world. The Ukrainians are fighting at home. Here's Ukraine. I mean, I'm shocked that this is going on. I'm shocked that Putin decided to go in there with, you know, all guns blazing like he has. The Russian people may not feel as strongly about this. This could go on as an insurgency for a long time and cause a lot of problems in Russia. Remember the anti-war years here during Vietnam. When Vietnam... We had the reason for being there. Whether you agree with it or you didn't agree with it, whether it was the domino theory, whether it was stopping communism, saving these people and all that. And we still had to create reasons for our people. We still had to talk about Haiphong Harbor and blah, blah, blah. But it remains to be seen how the Ukrainians battle in the next few weeks. Because if they put up the big fight that I'm anticipating, it's going to further discourage those Russians. And I'm including the Russian troops. As a, a young troop in Vietnam, I got to see the Vietnamese people up close and personal. I got into the villages. I spent time both on my job, which was, you know, part of my job was going in and, and meeting the villages and talking to the people because I brought in airstrikes. And we were always looking for targets of opportunity. But we also knew what places were probably going to be targeted. And we went and meet the province chiefs and talk about them and try to anticipate things that were going on. But during the downtime, I hung out with the 101st Airborne PSYOPs guys. And there wasn't a lot of them. There were three. <laughs> it was Mr. Pooth, who was this cool dude. I don't know how old he was. Probably 31, 2, 3, which was ancient to us. And we didn't know his rank. He was a warrant officer. So he was Mr. Pooth. And then there was a second lieutenant. I can't remember his name. And there was one other guy. But during the downtime, we'd go amongst the people and give out American stuff. And you know, it was just kind of cool stuff, man. Talk to the people. But sometimes we'd push out uh, pamphlets out of the helicopters and 
do stuff like that. So you get to meet the people, you get involved with the people, and you see how they are. And they were pretty committed. But then what was disturbing was when you see the American troops. Now, remember, I'm spending time out there, and a lot of time I'm up in the air in the back seat of an old one bird dog. It's like a little pipe of cub, front seat, back seat. And, and we had our white phosphorus rockets for marking targets on the wings. And it was, <laughs> thinking back, it was a little bit shakier than it seemed at the time. But again, you're a 21-year-old, nothing's bothering you. you. You're invincible, you could do anything. But still, you know, you, you'd look down, and here's the Americans walking through this jungle with white T-shirts. I know you don't see it today when you see those pictures, but trust me, I was there in 65 and in 66. Everybody was like, oh, my God, there were anti-war rallies everywhere and growing. And these American troops, and I'm talking about the best of the best, 101st Airborne, you know, when you talk about U.S. paratroopers going in, doing the job they're doing. You're talking about well-trained people. You're talking about guys who are like badasses. They're walking straight up, fatigues, white T-shirts underneath. Their name tags and stuff sewn on where you could actually read, they're not reading their names, but you could see all this from the air. We're up a thousand feet flying above and we could see it, let alone being on the ground with them. There was just no will. You'd read the Stars and Stripes newspaper. Yeah, we got it out in Vietnam. You'd hear the reports. You'd have the people would come in. They would rotate in and talk about what's going on at home. We had nothing. And it, it was very discouraging. And I think it exposed a lot of the troops in ways that they should never have been exposed. We lost a lot of people. So a lot of Americans died. There's a lot of names on that wall. How many of them wouldn't be there if morale was different? I think it's, you know, it, it's hard to define a negative and, and come up with a number. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do that, but I think it might be more than we think, honest to God. But now I think the Russians are in for a similar kind of experience. And this could go on for a long time. And the problems in Russia, I'm telling you, it, it remains to be seen how the Ukrainians battle in the next few weeks. Europe's going to be impacted, and they're going to take this out on Russia as well. They're going to be upset. Zelensky's leadership is also an unknown. He's starting an anti-Putin coalition. He's asked NATO to close off Ukrainian airspace, make it a no-fly zone. That's a lot. He's asking a lot. But this guy is stepping up. By the way, it's, it's kind of weird. When Putin was making his speech, he was trying to compare Ukraine to Nazi Germany Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, is Jewish. <laughs> Just another little tidbit of what's going on. But his leadership is unknown. And like I said, he's putting together a coalition. He's not 
afraid to, you know, step up and ask for a no-fly zone. The key to how things will play out is going to be the will of the Ukrainian people, how fed up Europe becomes with Putin's actions, and the cost to Europe, especially the NATO nations, the will of the Russians to live as a villainous nation, being compared to Nazi Germany. And that's what people are doing. Taking over sovereign nations. World War II, it was similar. That was the rationale. That's what Hitler did. And and this is a one-sided war. It's not, okay, Ukraine is making noise. Ukraine is doing this. Are they going to go in there? How much is Russia going to No, Ukraine didn't do anything. Russia made up a few things, and everybody knows he meant, oh, the genocide, they go, whatever the story was, it was bullshit. And everybody knew it and knows it. And it's interesting that when you talk about Ukraine, you're talking about a very educated country, the fourth best educated people in the world. It's also the, the cheapest to visit. Ukraine is a very surprisingly interesting country. Someone pointed out, chicken Kiev. <laughs> That's Ukrainian. Well, it is. And it was really starting to be a threat. And whether or not it was a, uh, a total threat to the existence, an existential threat to Russia, that's probably a stretch. But to Putin, he's seeing what was starting to be a pretty thriving country, although it it was and is. It was a free country. Freedom was expanding. Yes, it was corrupt, and corruption was subsiding as the country was developing. And like I said, Zelensky was doing a pretty, pretty good job of running the country. And as he stepped up, he became more of a threat. And now we know what the Russian army can do to the Ukrainian army. Do we know how the Russian people are going to deal with that? Are they going to allow that? Uh, That's a big question. So what can the U.S. do? How about building back our own energy, make the U.S. energy independent again, open closed pipelines and gas and oil leases, of course, send more weapons, ammunition, more to Ukraine, increase the sanctions and condemn Putin and Russia, conflating them until the Russian people no longer want to be associated with Putin. Putin is threatening, according to some, I think I was saying General Kellogg say that Putin saying what he said, that if you step in or come against us, we're going to do something that you've never seen before. He's saying he's threatening nuclear war. I don't think that's the case, but even if he is or he isn't, Kellogg is also saying Biden needs to take some heavy-handed measures to put Putin back in the box. I like that. Back in the box. Take some heavy-handed measures. God only knows nuclear weapons would destabilize the whole world. But we need strength and resolve. We have to upstage our Afghanistan debacle. We have to upstage it. Somehow. Nord Stream 2 must be permanently stopped. We, we can't depend on 
just Germany saying, okay, we're going to stop it. Germany's got some self-interest here that I don't think we should trust. You know, Germany's former chancellor is now head of the, the, the whole Nord Stream program. That's Germany. They're dependent on all this Russian oil and gas. So, yeah, they stopped it for now, but it's got to be permanent. Nord Stream 2 must not go online. And this Nord Stream AG, it's a Swiss company owned by a Russian company. And why Senator Cruz had his hold on State Department people that Biden was looking to get approval of people for the State Department. So Cruz had a hold on all of them, and he said he's going to lift that hold if Biden goes after and puts a stop on Nord Stream 2. Why would he do that? Why would Ted Cruz have to do that? But when that is exactly what Biden should have done on his own. He shouldn't have had to have a quid pro quo or a bribe or whatever. What does one thing have to do to the other? I really find that to be upsetting to me as a citizen. I don't want these guys to swap deals and, and say, okay, I'll approve your approval. I'll let go of this hold on people if you... Stop Nord Stream 2? No, he should have stopped Nord Stream 2 anyway. I don't get it. Now, it seems clear that what Putin wants to do is invade, put in his puppet leader, and then what? Then you're going to have a puppet leader, and you really think that the Ukrainian people are going to be okay with that? It may be too late. I mean, Biden's weakness provoked this assault. I totally agree with that. But now it's done. It's there. They've assaulted. It's really up to the Ukrainian people and, interestingly, the Russian people. They talk about this being done in multiple phases. By the way, Russia's taken over Chernobyl, the big nuclear plant that blew up, what, 30-something years ago? Chernobyl happened in April of, of 86 is when... Chernobyl blew up during the testing of the water that they have to have, and it just went nuts. And But the Russians have taken it over, and I'm assuming that they've taken over because they want to have a nuclear waste dump. That's what Chernobyl is. But I've heard some other things, and it's a direct route from Belarus. I don't know. I do know the Russian forces are taking some casualties. I don't think this is going quite as smoothly as Russia thought, as Putin thought. There's no question that the chances are it's going to be a successful venture for Putin if this is what he wants to do. But then be careful what you wish for. I think that's what the big deal is as far as people saying that this is going to hurt Russia as bad or worse than it hurts Ukraine. This might bring Ukraine together. God knows it looks like it's brought NATO together. It looks like there's a resolve and there's a big but here. You know, it's interesting to watch Biden on television and he says all the right things and all that, 
And it's interesting to see that Germany stepped up and stopped the pipeline, not permanently, but let's hope it does. But they did that. But the big deal, as far as sanctions is concerned, you know, here's Biden on TV. He's describing what Putin's doing. Putin's the aggressor. Putin chose this war, invoking sanctions along with the G7 leaders in 27 NATO countries, stopping Russia's ability to compete. The ruble is at its weakest level ever. Cut off the Russian banks, cut them off from the United States. All U.S. assets will be frozen. The Russian oligarchs will be sanctioned as well. Frozen, all their funds will be frozen. We'll do the same with the Russian companies. We'll cut off more than half of its imports. They won't be able to build ships or planes. They got a NATO summit coming up, 30 nations. They're going to meet the plan. They're more united. They are. They're more united than ever right now. And they're going to reiterate compliance with Article 5. An attack on one NATO nation is an attack on all NATO nations. That's all good. That's all good. And the U.S. forces they're deploying to support the NATO countries, no mention of increasing gas and oil exploration will provide humanitarian relief to the Ukraine. Ukraine's had 30 years of independence. Putin is going to be a pariah on the international stage. That's all good. But what about the real killer sanction? Russia has gone in. Putin has gone in and killed people. He's got some of his own people killed, the Russian troops, and, he, and he's killed. I don't know how many, 40 or 50, maybe more, and, and totally disrupted this whole country of Ukraine. So what about taking them out of SWIFT? Now, everybody talks about SWIFT. SWIFT is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, okay? Society for Worldwide, S-W-I-F-T. Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. It's a Belgian cooperative society, serves as the intermediary and executor of financial transactions between banks worldwide. SWIFT transfers, also called international money transfer. It's 200 countries, 11,000 institutions. That's all SWIFT. So that's how the world does business. 200 countries, 11,000 banks. When you want to transfer money from one country to another, that's how you do it. And that's how Russia does it. So take them out. Well, they're concerned. Moving against him now, taking them out of SWIFT, it might embolden him. Europe doesn't want Russia out of SWIFT. It's a nuclear option. The Russians provide Europe with 50% of their energy. That's it. 50%. That's big. And with Nord Stream 2 and growing, it's going to get even bigger. So how much can you really depend on these Russian partners? Because they're so dependent on Russia. 
now they don't want to take Russia out of SWIFT? I don't get it. So if I'm Biden, I tell my partners, hey, guys, we're either doing this or we're not doing this. You want to keep this thing going and you want to stay with NATO and we're putting in most of the money? You haven't reached that 2% that Trump told you you had to reach? Matter of fact, since he's gone, you've gone down? Maybe we're just going to step out of this because SWIFT is the only threat that means anything from what I'm seeing. Now, I'm an amateur here. Okay, that's fine. I don't think it takes a brain surgeon to understand this. You need to put something on the line that has some meaning. That tiger needs some teeth. Otherwise, just make a noise. Doesn't mean a lot. And that's what's going on. I'm looking at the Dow Jones. I'm looking at what's going on. I don't see this, this big hullabaloo, boom. It's a sell-off, of course. But it's an orderly sell-off. I don't think people are expecting that either Ukraine's going to put up a big fight. I think they're going to say, okay, hey, Ukraine's going to agree. Take out the, the guys we have in there. Put it. By the way, if you take them out, do you keep that country going? Do you keep the current leadership of the country, even if you remove them? Do you put them someplace where they can be the government in isolation? We've seen that happen so many times. Is that what you do? And then you have them represented at the UN and every place else by the Ukraine of today, not the Ukraine of tomorrow, which is going to be a Putin puppet? Because that's how you should do it. What is Biden talking about? What are we talking about today as the United States of America? What are we saying other than going along with our European partners who don't want to remove Russia from SWIFT? Like I said, I'm not going to pretend that I know everything, but it seems pretty obvious to me that it's just clear. SWIFT, they call it the nuclear option. Just do it. Anything you do is going to be delayed. So when he says, well, we'll have to wait 30 days and see what goes on. So the people in the Ukraine have to wait 30 days. If you took them out of SWIFT now, they wouldn't wait for the effects. They do something right away. And you don't know what they would do. Maybe quietly, you know, disengage. Maybe. You don't know. For sure, I thought, getting them out of Nord Stream 2, doing any of these other sanctions would have prevented them from going and prevented this war. Yeah, he's wanted to do it. He's wanted to do it forever. He's been in power 22 years. Guarantee you, this has been his goal for the last 20. He didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? Because he didn't want to deal with the consequences. Now, he sees Biden up there. And Biden wouldn't even do something to dissuade him from going in before he went in. Biden didn't do anything. He says, well, let's see how far he goes. He's not even stopping Nord Stream 2. Oh, he's not even doing nothing. Nothing. And now, I don't know, because Putin is so committed, he's all in now. What's Biden going to do now? that he hadn't prevented him 
He's there. He's not going to turn back. You can't turn him back. You can't. You don't know. Putin may see things that he didn't anticipate. Maybe he's going to see that Biden is really going to stop Nord Stream 2 on a permanent basis, going to roll back some of the other stuff. And maybe he's going to see him start to develop America's power grid, whether it's the Keystone Pipeline, Dakota Pipeline, the Anwar in Alaska, drilling on you know federal properties all over. Boom, bring it back. Make us energy independent. We're now bringing in I don't know, thousands of barrels of oil from Russia every month. What? Why? We have it here. We don't need it. We just got to drill for it and get it and do it. It seems like there's other things that Biden can do. And maybe we just got to wait for more members of his party to get upset, for more people to start reacting. Let's see about his um, State of the Union. Now, he has his own party person who's going to come back and, and talk to America. And it's not just going to be the Republican response, but Tlaib from the squad is going to give the Democrat response. Go figure. They're in such disarray. Why don't they just take care of business, just put Biden where he belongs in an old age home, the very least in an adult community. He's not in war now. And let's get on with the business of America. This invasion of Ukraine should never have happened. And in order to reverse it, you can't do it without taking Russia out of SWIFT. If that's the nuclear option, we have to exercise it because you can't keep talking about it and threatening it. That will devastate the Soviet Union and it won't cost America. The things that he's doing right now these are things that can cost us because it's going to raise the price of gas and oil. It's going to raise the price of food because if Ukraine isn't able to supply Europe with the vegetables and whatever else they need, they're going to have to get it and prices are going to go up and we're competing with this in the same markets. It's a global market right now and we're competing on a global level. So this is something that has got to be handled by the Democrats. Take it. We're all Americans here. Stop playing games. Stop making excuses for Afghanistan and saying, oh, yeah, that deal was signed by, by Trump. Okay? Stop it. Stop it. That's just malarkey. Let's just go forward and, and look at what the situation is now and fix it. You definitely have people in the Democrat Party who understand this more than the people currently occupying the White House. Let's fix this. This could be a good moment to do what needs to be done and put us all on the right track. Let's get energy independent again. Let's make sure this kind of a situation with the Russians can happen again because we're just around the corner from the same thing happening with China. China got a seat.
that we step up and stop Russia in its tracks. We could do it. With the Ukrainian people, we could do it. The resolve, the will of the people, the will of the American people is being tested. And let's step up and strike back. There's a lot of other things to talk about. I'm leaving next week for Daytona. We need to talk about rolling to remember. I still want to talk about crime in America. There's a lot. And one of the things I wanted to talk about today was this almost 18-year-old kid that went in and sexually molested a 10-year-old girl in the girl's bedroom. So it's an 18-year-old boy. Anyway, we're going to talk about that next time. There's a lot to talk about, but damn it, with what's going on in the Ukraine, let's make sure that all you Democrats talk to your people, get them to realize we have got to test these NATO members. We've got to push them to the limit. We can't be saying, okay, we'll just leave them in SWIFT. I know you're uncomfortable. That doesn't work. We can't just allow Germany to stop Nord Stream 2. It's got to end it permanently. We need to see a better result from what our leaders are doing right now. Because this is the moment that we can not only stop Russia, but if we stop Russia, we might prevent China from making their moves on Taiwan. Think about it. This is a, a, an opportunity in time, and we're just watching it. We need to be involved. I'm New York Mike. I'm involved. You're involved if you're listening to Roll Right Radio. I appreciate you listening to Roll Right, and I hope you subscribe. We'll be back. We will be back. I'm out right now. Out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.